0: All right. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter nine, starting in verse one, and um, as you're turning there, uh, I just wanted to I just wanted to share something that's going on. I don't know if you if you follow any of this in the media or in so on social media, but um, there is a famous uh, musician rapper named Kanye West, who um, for most of his career he's huge by the way, like like he is he has a tremendous following of fans and um, and for most of his career he's been somebody who has sung and wrote songs or rapped songs, um, lived a life that was in total opposition to what would be christ's character in fact he He he's even in in the past referred to himself as divine, called himself a god. Um, Now, recently, he has has communicated through the media that he gave his life to Christ and has become a Christian. Uh, That has been confirmed by his wife, who is also well-known in the media, but um, not a Christian herself but she's recognized that and acknowledged that. Um, so what's happened is there's been a, a mixed reaction to that um, in the secular culture and in the church culture. Secular culture, uh, people in the media, uh, they're, they're just confused by it. They, they don't uh, know how to respond to that. Um, some of them have been critical of him. Some of them have been civil to him and had him on and done interviews with him, and he's had a a chance to then share his faith. Uh, Within the church culture, and I see this a lot on Facebook, within the church culture, there is, the the church is split. Christians are split on how they feel about this. Some of them are very skeptical, and some of them are thinking, this is just another uh, uh, stunt to get publicity, uh, to get more fans. Some people are concerned that uh, he's trying to have his foot in both secular culture and in the Christian culture to maybe gain more of a following. Uh, the other side is that there are Christians who are celebrating and they're, they're rejoicing over what appears to be a genuine conversion. Um, and I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think if w- it's okay to be skeptical. I mean, sometimes sometimes people do that for publicity, but let's... Let's give him some time and see if this is something that that will will be it is a life change that will continue into the future and for those who are celebrating I I want to celebrate with him and it appears from what I see to be a real change in his life. I don't I know his. I didn't listen to his music but I know what was in his music before. His newest album is called Jesus is King and I've listened to not the whole thing but some of the songs on there and there are there are messages in there and lyrics in there that you can't stand with one foot in culture and one foot in the church and still write lyrics like that. The, they, they seem to be lyrics of somebody who has fully surrendered his life to Christ. Um, history is filled with people who were some of the greatest enemies of the cross. And God's grace turns their life upside down and turns them back into a direction toward him. And they not only uh, leave their life of sin and repent of that, but they become, they, they were once one of the greatest enemies and they become one of the greatest advocates for Christ. Um, and the Apostle Paul was probably the most well-known who was standing in total opposition and aggressively persecuting the church and he met Christ on the road to Damascus and from that point on he took that passion that he was trying to use to kill the church and he he applied that same passion toward his devotion to Christ and then trying to reach people for him and so I'm excited about this text today we're gonna we're not gonna look at the whole thing we're just gonna look at the part on the road to Damascus when he encounters Christ so if you're at Acts chapter 9 Would you please stand if you're able to and honor God as we read his word and we look at this encounter? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. God, we, we look at this, and um, the more I dig into this text, the more there's to learn. And um, So today we're going to focus on one aspect, and that's your grace. And I just pray that you would help us not only to see your grace in Paul's life, but that same grace that was exercised in our life and continues daily to, uh, to be exercised in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen go ahead and have a seat. All right, so one of my kids said to me this morning, there are so many notes here. So try to keep up. Um, we're going to look at two things. The first thing we're going to look at is how God's grace in Saul's life was relentless. God's grace in Saul's life was relentless. Um, and underneath that Topic of his grace being relentless, we're going to look at uh, a few different things that help us understand that Saul was saved by grace. The first thing is that Saul continued a life of opposition to Christ. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, it says Saul, and Luke uses this word still, so this is a continuation of what he's been doing. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Ask the high priest for the permission to go to Damascus. And if he finds anybody who's following Jesus, he's going to take them back down to Jerusalem and put them in prison. So Luke strategically weaves Saul's role in and out of the storyline of Acts. We don't hear about Saul until the end of chapter 7. But... By the time we get to our text today, we've now met up with him four times in the book of Acts. You first see him in chapter 7, verse 58, uh, because those who are stoning Stephen laid their clothes at his feet. So he was a Pharisee. He was was present during all that. Uh, In Acts 8.1, Luke tells us that... Saul approved of the stoning of Stephen and Saul himself, who later changes his name to Paul, by the time Acts 22 rolls around, he's going by Paul now, and he's giving, he's recalling, he's giving an account of what happened on the road to Damascus and, um, and how he lived his life before, and he, he uh, confirms that he approved of the stoning of Stephen. Uh, Acts 8.3 three. Luke tells us that he began to destroy the church. So he went on this hunt to, uh, he, was in, he was aggressively trying to, to destroy the church and put an end to this new movement. And now we get to our text today and Luke tells us that he is still breathing out murderous threats. And so what we see here is that there has been no change it's not like, as time has gone by, Saul has interacted with, with Christians, he's watched how they live their life, he's watched how they respond to people who have wronged them and, and return that with love and grace, it, and he's beginning to soften. That's not happening. He's not becoming, as he sees it more, becoming more soft toward the gospel and maybe, maybe willing to listen. He's becoming more and more adamant about putting an end to this. His own teacher, Gamaliel, was the one who, who talked the rest of the Sanhedrin into leaving the disciples alone and letting this thing play out, because he, w- he said, if, if it's from God, you're not gonna be able to stop it. You'll just be fighting against God. And if it's not from God, it'll die out. And so his own teacher was telling them, just relax. But Saul has become more and more aggressive uh, toward the church. And so there has been no change in Saul's attitude toward Christ and, and his church. And since he's continued this life of opposition to Christ, God relentlessly pursued Saul. It was by grace that Saul was saved. So that's the first one, that he continued a life of opposition to Christ. The second that shows us that it is God's grace that teaches or that saved Saul is that Saul transitioned from prideful hatred for Jesus to humble devotion to him. He transitioned from prideful hatred for Jesus to humble devotion to him. The rest of the text for today we will use for the rest of the sermon, but let me read through the rest of it here. Now, as he went on his way He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So he'd been blinded by the, by the encounter. So they led him by the hand and bought, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, neither, and neither ate nor drank. So when Saul is on the road to Damascus, and Jesus, the glory of God, shines around him and is so forceful, it knocks him to the ground, and he has a really short conversation there's not much there's not much discussion that happens it's just a few statements that are made but in that short encounter Saul comes face to face with two things he comes face to face with the fact that Jesus is alive and if Jesus is alive then he's got to be lord because Saul would have been around he was a pharisee in Jerusalem he would have been around when Jesus was around and the crucifixion and the resurrection took place. Saul was trying to put an end to the church and this belief in Jesus because he wanted to prove that this guy was still dead and he was not God. But now he's come face to face with him. So he came face to face with the fact that Jesus is alive. And I'm concluding that if he's alive, he's got to be Lord. Um, I think Paul concludes that as well. The other thing that he comes face to face with is that to mistreat or persecute the, the followers of Jesus is to persecute Jesus himself. Because Saul had not been persecuting Jesus in the flesh. He'd been going about trying to put, in, put an end imprisoning, giving approval to someone's death, who were following Jesus. And so when Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Saul comes face to face with the fact that his actions in persecuting the church, you persecute Jesus's Jesus's body, and you're persecuting him himself. And so, he comes face to face with those two facts. Jesus is alive, which means he's Lord, and and persecuting his followers means to persecute Jesus himself. Now, Instead, so he's on this mission, you know, when he, when, when he is on the road and he meets Jesus, he's on this mission. He's going to go to Damascus and he's going to drag people off in chains and he's going to throw them in prison. But instead of completing that mission the, of arresting the Christians who are in Damascus, Saul is led into the city in a state of blindness and submission. And so Jesus interfered with his campaign of persecution and by grace changed Saul's life. So Saul had continued in his opposition to Christ and he has this transition that only came because Jesus interrupted his plans and, came f- and he came face to face with them. So both of those things tell us that it's God's grace that saved Paul. Paul was er, Saul, sorry. I will probably slip into calling him Paul throughout the sermon. I apologize. Um, so the third thing is that Saul attributes his conversion to God's grace, and so um, not only do we see in the story that there is no, there's no leaning toward Christ, there's no, you know, questioning. Maybe I should give this give this guy a listen or hear what he has to say or hear what his disciples have to say. There's none of that, and so God reaches out with his grace and gets a hold of him, but Saul then, even later in his own writings, attributes the, his conversion to God's grace. Um, so you've got some scripture references in your, no, in your notes. Um, these are all places where Paul has spoken of God's grace taking hold of his life. The first one is Galatians 1, 15 and 16. He who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. So God revealed Jesus to Saul. Philippians 3, 2, 3.12. He talks about Christ taking hold of him. Christ, Jesus, has made me his own. And the Greek word that he uses there means to arrest. And so Jesus arrested him, took a hold of him, and would not let go of him by his grace. The third one, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Saul talks about Paul's writing about his time, talks about how God illuminated his, his heart. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, if God had not, out of his grace, shone light into Saul's heart, he would not have he would not have come face to face with Christ for who he is, and had his life changed. It was God's grace. And the last one, first Timothy one three and thirteen and fourteen, uh, God granted faith to Saul. He says as, as he's writing Timothy. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God, by his grace, granted faith to Saul. C.S. Lewis refers to he was an atheist. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Um, and I've seen this with a lot of, I've read articles or it, listened to interviews of a lot of atheists who've come to Christ, and this is kind of a similar uh, situation. C.S. Lewis refers to God as a divine chess player who is maneuvering us into the most disadvantageous positions until we concede checkmate. And Sometimes God has to work like that with people. Saul was somebody, and C.S. Lewis was somebody, that God God had to to force them into a situation where they had no option but to recognize who he was. But he does it by his grace. It's his grace and his love for us, not letting go and not letting us just walk off into a life of death not letting go and pulling us to himself um, saul his life and his purpose was consumed with the destruction of the church and putting to death any remnant of belief in jesus and so he was actually living out what he later would write to the ephesians in chapter two um i have uh i have this text on the screen for you to, to follow along This is, we're going to read through all ten verses, but the first three are what he was living out at the time. And so as he's writing to the church in Ephesus later on, as the Apostle Paul, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's, Saul is living out what he later writes. He was an enemy of Christ. He was living by the flesh. He was um, a son of disobedience. He was living out the passions of the flesh and carrying out his desires that he had within his, within his body. And he was a child of wrath, like we all were before we knew Christ. But, verse 4, when we go to the next one. This phrase right here is one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture. But, god so here's where you were you were a child of wrath you were destined for destruction for eternal death separated from god for all of eternity and now paul is going to go in and he's going to speak about god's grace and i have places underlined where it indicates something god did out of grace but god being rich in mercy that's his grace And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. That is, a, that is God acting in his grace to give us the gift of salvation. Not, as, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And so, God's grace was relentless with Paul. Paul. But God's grace was something the the road to Damascus, the experience he had on the road to Damascus, we tend to think of was an instant conversion, right? Like I've, I've even referred to it as that before. God doesn't always save people instantly like he did the Apostle Paul. But God's grace actually had been working on him to prepare him to surrender. Um, and so we're going to look at how God had been preparing him for the encounter on the road to Damascus. It wasn't as sudden as we tend to think. God's grace, two things that God's grace did to prepare him to surrender. One, God's grace was gradual, which it is so often with, with people, and God's grace was gentle. So let's look at God's grace was gradual. Um, There are three places we get the encounter that happened on the road to Damascus in Acts. It's Acts chapter 9, which we're in today. And then Paul tells the story in Acts 22, and he tells the story in Acts 26. In Acts 26, verse 14, he says this, and he adds something that is not in the account in chapter 9. He says, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. How many know what a goat is? Anybody know, G-O-A-D, know what a goat is? We've we've got an overachiever here. (laughs) Okay, Um, so Steve's wise enough to look at the notes. Hey, hey, if it's befo- if it's in front of you, it's not cheating, right? Uh, a goad is basically a cattle prod. It was a spiked stick that was used to jab an animal to get it to move or respond to the owner. And so they would jab an ox or whatever they were whatever they were using it on. And I've seen pictures of goads that they use today and they look v- Really painful. It's it's a pointed metal end that they that they continue to prod you with. If an animal were to kick against the goad or to kick back at the goad as they were using it, it would succeed in only harming itself, bringing injury to itself. And so there's this imagery here that Jesus is this owner, this master of of Saul, and like. An animal needs to be prodded in order to get it to respond. Jesus had been using a goad to to get Saul to respond, and Saul was just kicking against it. He was not responding to it the way he was supposed to. So, we're going to look at some different goads that God used to to get Paul to respond to him. Uh, The first one is that. Saul was most likely, uh, he'd most likely heard Jesus teach at the temple. Now, we don't have biblical references to that. So, um, this is a conclusion that I've personally come to in my mind. He was a Pharisee. He was in the temple. He was a teacher of the law. You've got a young rabbi who's come in and the whole nation of Israel is running after this guy. And... He spent time in the temple teaching, so i'm like i don't have biblical support for this, but I can I, I think I could say confidently that he would have heard Jesus teach but for the sake of argument let's just say he never actually heard him teach he did know his reputation he did know um, the things that were being taught because those things were coming to coming to the minds and the attention of the Of the Pharisees Pharisees were constantly engaging in arguments with Jesus so he would have known the teaching he would have heard the rumors of the healings the calming the storm the walking on the water the raising the dead to life and so Saul was not ignorant of who Jesus was when he was in his earthly ministry God had God had given him opportunities to see what God was doing through his son, to hear about what God was doing through his son, to understand what God was doing through his son. And Saul was not responding, at least the way we would hope. But God was using that as a goad to prep him. Another thing, Saul had firsthand experience with Stephen and Stephen's unshakable faith uh, during... His tri- during his trial and his stoning. And so we know that Saul was there. Um, he stood there while the people who were stoning him put their clothes at, at his feet. He would have heard Stephen testify as God opened heaven and gave Stephen the ability to see what Jesus standing at the right hand of, of God the Father. And so he would have seen that faith that was unshakable. He would have heard that testimony and he did not respond as God was using that as a goad to prep him to surrender. Number three, Saul was an expert in the law and the Holy Spirit from the beginning of God, from, the, from Genesis through Revelation, the Holy Spirit is at work in the God's people to convict them of their sin. Saul later, writing as the Apostle Paul, would say, it was because of the law that I knew my sin. And so the Holy Spirit has always been active in the hearts of his people to convict them of their sin. And Saul was no exception to that rule. He knew the law inside and out. But he didn't respond to this goad that God was using to prepare him for surrendering to him. So God's grace was gradual. And those are just the things that we can conclude from Scripture. Who knows what God was doing in the the heart of Paul, Saul, um, leading up to that. I mean, you and I, we all know our deepest, darkest secrets and sins that we don't want anybody to know. And we know the the wrestling and the turmoil that we deal with inside because we're dealing with those things. Well, Saul wasn't any different. So God had been gradually, his grace had been gradually preparing him to receive his son and surrender to him. But God's grace was also gentle, Um we do tend to think that this was like a boom all of a sudden his eyes were open and it took you know it took a smack in the head for for Saul to to realize who christ was and to surrender to him but his gra- god's grace was really gentle if we look at the text and the conversation between the two of them god did not harshly rebuke him for his stiff neck he didn't harshly rebuke him, but he appealed to reason by asking him a simple question. Acts 9.4, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And with that question, he pricked Saul's conscience. Jesus has, he's a master at teaching and convicting by asking questions. People would come to him and say, teacher, how do, how do I do this, or teacher, is this, is this the time that this is going to happen? They would, they would come to him and they'd want to know, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus would answer a lot of times questions with another question. And so he was a master at doing this, and with Saul, he asks him one question, why are you persecuting me? And it pierced his heart because God's grace had been preparing him. And now he just comes to him and gently asks a question and it pricks Saul's conscience. And he was, we, we know that he was actually convicted of that of his past sins against Christ because God convicted him of his past sins against Christ because Saul answers with, what shall I do, Lord? That's in, uh, that's in the account in 22, Acts 22. He said, said to him, what shall I do? So God's grace was gentle, and Saul responded in surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you know from your own study of Scripture that from that point on, Saul never looks back. He is 100% sold out for Christ for the rest of his life, being willing to even die, e- actually, even desiring to suffer and die for Christ so that he would know the glory that Christ had. Um, after his suffering and death. So as we look at this, God's grace is really, really like overflowing here in the life of Saul. And there's a number of things that we can take away from this for our own life. First of all, um, in terms of people who don't know Christ, my my first encouragement is don't ever give up praying for them because sometimes god's grace is gradual sometimes it takes god tends to work incrementally in someone's life and i think i've mentioned in here before but if if god if god works gradually in somebody's life it's more likely to be a change that's going to take root and actually be sustained in their life if you and i have a major change in our life we might be like maybe we have a scare we might say, okay, I'm going to straighten my life out. But after some time goes by and that's no longer a threat, we tend to die off on that commitment. But if something gradually changes in our lives, it gradually becomes a part of who we are. And then those changes tend to be sustained. God works that way most of the time in the lives of humans. So don't tire of praying for them. Don't tire of calling out to God, asking on behalf of um, that person for God to work his grace in their lives. Um, In our own lives, if we already know Christ, we can look at these things and we can say, "God, God works this way in our life too. God, if we, we may not live a life in opposition to Christ, but if we were to stray, God is not going to Just let us walk away. His grace is gonna reach out and he's gonna be relentless with us in his grace. Um, He's going to help us to transition from, now that we've given our life to Christ, he's gonna help us transition from a life that is prideful and centered on ourselves over time. He's gonna continue to turn our focus away from ourselves and onto him. So we will move from pride to humility before him we can look at our life and we can, if we're honest with ourselves, we can look at our life and we can say, here is an example of God's grace. Here's God's grace before we were, I was saved. Here's God's grace after I was saved. Here's God's grace when I was struggling with this. Here's God's grace when this major change in my life took place and I needed his grace to, to view this biblically and view him as in control. Here's God's grace as I... Um, am a failure as a parent, as I'm a failure as a husband, here's God's grace as I am a failure as a pastor, whatever it might be, um, put your name in there, put the things that are personal for you in there, you will be able to look back at your life and see God's grace working in your life, just like he worked in the life of Saul. And you will also be able to recognize that God is gentle with his children. Um, I hope you're not a person that has to learn things the hard way. Some of us are. But people have to learn things the hard way, have to experience God's grace sometimes in a little harsher uh, form. But God is gentle with us as he works gradually to sanctify us and make us more into the image of Christ. And so... God's grace as he worked in the life of Saul is no different than the way he works in the life of us after we've become Christians and it's no different than he works in the lives of those out there that need to know him. And so we need to be persistent in prayer. We need to be persistent. We need to be relentless in seeking out opportunities to share the gospel because God wants them to come to know him just like he wanted you to come to know him and me just like he wanted Saul to come to know him, and he uses his children to bring many sons of glory, just as Paul went out and became the greatest missionary the church has ever known. Let's pray, God. As we as we study the life of Saul, um, I just pray that we would um, see the places where we identify with him before he came to know Christ. And after he came to know Christ, um, because your grace is what saves us, and we we have to respond to that. You're, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by our works. But we see in this text that you were calling Paul, Saul, to respond to you, and he responded in humility and sold out devotion to you and we see now we're able to look at now being this far after the cross and after the the new testament writings we're able to see what you will do with a life that is completely surrendered to you and we want to be like that too we want to give you glory and we want people to know you